0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled, Advancing Care in Gastrointestinal Cancers, a Refreshed View of ASCO 2019, is provided in partnership with Prova Education and is supported by an educational grant from Merck and Company and Celgene. Before beginning this activity, please review the faculty disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's your host, Dr. Paul Oberstein.
1: An improved understanding of the pathobiology of gastrointestinal cancers and substantial research efforts have led to rapid advances in the treatment and management of these malignancies in recent years. But as new evidence continues to be published and presented at conferences, oncologists are finding it more difficult to stay on top of new information, and more importantly, how best to translate new science into patient care. That's why today we'll be breaking down some of the practice-changing data that emerged at the American Society of Clinical Oncology or ASCO, annual meeting. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Paul Oberstein, an assistant professor of medicine and director of GI oncology at NYU Langone Perlmutter Comprehensive Cancer Center. Here with me today is Dr. Eileen O'Reilly, an attending physician, professor of medicine, and director of clinical research at the Rubenstein Pancreas Center at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Dr. O'Reilly, welcome to the program.
0: Oh, hi. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Oberstein. It's a pleasure to be here today.
1: So let's jump right into this. So what were some of the recent and practice-changing abstracts in pancreatic cancer?
0: So we did a couple of key abstracts this year. The first one was the APAC study. This was in the adjuvant setting. This was for patients who had resection of their pancreas cancer, where they were randomized to either gemcitabine and napaclitaxel or gemcitabine alone, so extrapolated directly from metastatic disease. And I think everybody's expectation was that this was going to be a positive study, but to uh, the surprise. There wasn't a clear difference in outcome as adjudicated by the, the primary endpoint, which was looking at uh, disease recurrence by blinded, independent, central review. And that's distinct and uh, separate from the patient and separate from the imaging, and CN, sorry, separate from CN99 uh, and the patient. And that, that clearly wasn't a good surrogate for outcome. Nonetheless, uh, overall survival uh, looks to be trending positive with a hazard ratio of 0.82. So we'll have to see where this lands, but I would say right now this does not impact routine adjuvant practice in, in pancreas cancer, uh, with fulfirinox for a fitter individual being the, the reference standard, and for those that are less robust, gemcitabine, and kepsitabine. What, what was your take on these data? So,
1: so I, I agree. I think it was a little surprising. We all expected that it would be a very robust signal, but it was somewhere in the middle, and it wasn't enough, I think, to change practice, especially given the background of the fulfirinox data from a year ago, which was so positive.
0: Yeah, so the other important one, and this was a highlight for pancreas cancer. It was on the plenary session this year. So it was called a POLO study, and it was looking at the use of maintenance of laparib in patients with a germline mutation in BRCA1 or BRCA2 and metastatic pancreas cancer. And there were two key points. Patients had to be uh, have disease that was responding to platinum-based therapy and have a confirmed mutation. Uh, this was a positive study compared to placebo, alaparib uh, increased the time to progression of the cancer. There wasn't uh, an obvious impact on overall survival and lots of speculation as to why that me- might be so, uh, but right now we would say that this supports the use of maintenance alaparib in this population as an alternative uh, to chemotherapy, which I think for a lot of patients is, is an attractive uh, consideration.
1: I agree. I think that was a really surprisingly well-done study. I think it required them to screen over twenty two thousand patients. Yep. Uh, I think that was really impressive. Do you think that changes the way we should be screening patients for these germline mutations?
0: So the most perhaps key point of this is that we should be testing patients for germline mutations. That's now in the NCCN uh, guidelines, as standard of care, and other major guidelines also. So, yes.
1: And as you mentioned, it was single agent. I'm really curious to know what will happen when we start combining this. But I guess the future studies will answer that.
0: Yeah. So nice to have new drugs in this disease.
1: So let's continue with colorectal cancer. What were some of the highlights from recent conferences?
0: So I think the Beacon Data was a major study. And just a little bit of background here. BRAF-mutated colorectal cancer, poor prognostic subset, don't tend to do so well with chemotherapy. So this was really interesting, looking at a triplet combination of cetuximab, encorafenib, and binimetinib in combination to try and overcome the resistance mechanisms as to why BRAF inhibitors don't work so well in colorectal cancer. And this was a non-chemotherapy combination. And compared to chemotherapy uh, plus cetuximab and doublet and triplet and the, this was was positive uh, positive data in a second and third line setting in colorectal cancer, so this is clearly going to be developed and probably will move into front line setting and maybe even in the adjuvant setting for this uh, relatively poor risk subgroup of colon cancer.
1: Yeah, I thought the data were were really really exciting. It's a very hard to treat population: BRAF mutated colon cancer and. There were definitely robust responses. As you said, hopefully earlier, it may actually have even a greater benefit.
0: Yeah, so we'll probably see a number of trials stemming from this over the next uh, year or two. Exciting.
1: Carrying on, any other abstracts in colon?
0: Yeah, so I think the other one that was of interest, and it was in a poster session, but it caught a lot of people's attention, is can you make microsatellite-stable GI malignancies responsive to immune therapy? So this was a combination of regorafenib and uh, a um, checkpoint inhibitor together in two subsets of uh, diseases in colorectal cancer and in gastric cancer. and nice thing to say was that there were some responses in this uh, setting in microsatellite stable um, colorectal cancer and gastric cancer and even some activity in checkpoint refractory gastric cancer. So if that holds up, that's that's really interesting and that needs to be replicated. I think no question about that. We're going to see this combination right being developed in a number of uh, GI malignancies.
1: I agree. I think that was very exciting. We're, we're still waiting for the breakthrough in immunotherapy and GI cancers in general, and especially in colon cancer. And this needs to be validated in larger patients, but it seems like a very promising avenue.
0: Exactly. And toxicity requires some dose adjustment but for the TKI, but overall reasonably tolerated.
1: So we look forward to those follow-up studies. Definitely. Sure. Great. So let's... Continue right on in. How about gastroesophageal cancers? What recent abstracts were interesting to you?
0: Yeah, so we had a number of uh, key studies presented over the last few months at major meetings. Uh, One of them was Keynote 181. This was looking at uh, pembrolizumab in squamous uh, esophageal cancer in a second-line setting compared to chemotherapy. And there was a nice positive signal, particularly in the CPS uh, greater than or equal to 10. And I think that really supports the use of checkpoint inhibitor now as a second-line study and builds on the nivolumab data and the attraction trial as well in, in, in the setting of squamous cell cancer 2, but there was non-selected, so not limited by pdl one uh, status. The other sort of complicated abstract was Keynote 062. That's a little tricky to get one's head around it, but it had a a design looking at immunotherapy plus chemo plus immunotherapy with with pembrolizumab as a non-inferiority design. And it actually did meet non-inferiority with pembrolizumab. And then it looked at uh, the combination in different subsets. So I think if you have a patient with low-volume disease and an elevated CPS score based on the Keynote 062 data. I think you feel comfortable using single-agent immunotherapy. What would be your take on this? It was a little controversial, right? This
1: was a lot of data, and it was a a lot of work, and it's really complicated, as you said. I think the the most positive thing is the single-agent therapy, which is now FDA-approved for esophageal squamous cancer in second line for CPS greater than 10, and I think that's, you know, similar to the nivolumab data, which is looked mostly in an Asian population, and, and even that single arm, single line uh, data in first-line gastric cancer, where the CPS greater than 10 group did really well. The, the flip side, I think, is that the combination with chemotherapy really didn't seem to provide benefit, and that was surprising to a lot of us, and I'm not sure how that's going to impact further trials in that setting.
0: Exactly. It's, I mean, it was expecting with the lung cancer data that that might hold true, but it clearly isn't going to be uh, practice changing. But nice to know we have some new options for squamous cell cancer, and just thinking on a global basis, that's actually the most common form of esophageal cancer.
1: But I think that other intriguing aspect, which I don't think we have a final answer to, which is mm-hmm. who's the patient with first-line gastric cancer with a CPS score high enough or sick enough that it makes sense to just give single-agent immunotherapy? I think there's someone, but we have to clearly define who that person is.
0: Yeah, maybe the MSI-high subgroup, maybe the EBV-positive subgroup, uh, pdl one CPS-grade in 10, but still discussion, right, outside of MSI-high, and even there it's... Uh, not still unclear. Clearly First line. Yes. Front line. Yes.
1: Exactly. And now for our last topic, getting on to hepatobiliary cancers. Was there any? Really interesting abstracts that popped out to you from the recent meetings.
0: Yeah, so I think this is getting to be a really crowded space, right? How to treat HCC, and a lot of that emerging on immune checkpoint inhibitor uh, therapies and where they fit in this disease. So we had the Checkmate 040 study, right? Long awaited trial looking at nivolumab versus serafinib in frontline. And uh, this has taken like a number of years to mature, but not clearly a positive study, although a signal not statistically significant. In favor of nivolumab, I think more palatable from the toxicity perspective, but based on how the study would, was designed, we would have to say it doesn't move a checkpoint inhibitor into frontline. The other big trial this year was looking at pembrolizumab versus supportive care in a second line setting, and both of these trials were following on the conditional approval of the uh, checkpoint inhibitor studies in second line. So this again was not definitively positive by statistical design, but there was a three-month difference in median survival and, as you know, tail on the curve in these uh, diseases and with this class of drugs that was of, of interest. And then I think the third study was the clarity study looking at a targeted agent in uh, cholangiocarcinoma in patients with an IDH uh, mutation, so ivacidinib. And this was compared to placebo in second line and positive, providing proof of principle uh, and underscoring the need to look at genetic testing and somatic mutation profiling in patients with cholangiocarcinoma. So they were the big three for me. What what did you think?
1: I I agree. I think it is gratifying to see one cancer, the hepatocellular cancer, where immunotherapy does seem to make a difference and we have two approved agents, second line. Mm -hmm. But as we've seen in the studies, the exact way to use them and whether first line, second line in certain combinations, other data coming out soon, I think still remains to be clarified. The, the other one, the cholangiocarcinoma, I think that's an area that needs a, a ray of hope. And I think to see at least a signal, even in a small patient population, is very exciting.
0: Yeah. So it's getting complex to treat HCC now, right? We have to think frontline TKI versus whether or not we'll see some data with TKI and checkpoint inhibitors soon. That might suggest that that's going to become a new frontline standard. And then the question will be what to do second line, because all our studies are sort of designed in an older era, it's, it's going to be interesting. But yeah. that's I, these, these I are good challenges. It's a good
1: problem to have. Yeah. The fact that there's so many drugs have been approved in first and second line in the last five years for HCC, it's going to come out where some of them are going to be combined. And I think we're going to need to do those studies to figure that out.
0: Exactly. Exciting.
1: So, Eileen, just to conclude, any final thoughts about recent abstracts from these meetings?
0: Yeah, so in the GI cancer world, I think there's a few key take-home messages. For pancreas cancer, we want to think germline testing. For cholangiocarcinoma, we want to think somatic profiling for these patients looking for IDH and FGF uh, fusions and other uh, alterations that are potentially targetable. For BRAF, uh, mutated colorectal cancer, uh, to watch the triplet combination uh, as that gets developed. And I think the continuing evolution of where immunotherapy Therapy fits in gi malignancies but it's clearly established now for squamous cell esophageal uh, cancer uh, potentially for uh, some adenocarcinoma patients front second and third line uh, so they would be the key points that i would think about yourself anything you'd like to and i think to it's add? True. i
1: think it's great to see so many studies coming out in gi cancers they're not all that clear but i think the continued studies will definitely clarify how we continue to practice mm-hmm. Well, with that, I want to thank Dr. Eileen O'Reilly for sharing her valuable insights in our discussion of key data on gastrointestinal cancers coming from ASCO 2019. It was great speaking with you today, Eileen.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Paul. I enjoyed our discussion, and we look forward to the next session in 2020. This activity was provided in partnership with Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit, be sure to complete the post test and evaluation by visiting reachmd.com/prova this is CME on reachmd be part of the knowledge